we need a time of drawing aside and kind of evaluating and, and looking at our lives and kind of refocusing things. And I think it's, it's important that we do that. I think that's, you know, in every life, you know, can you imagine just doing the same thing all the time, just grinding continually through your life and never taking a time where we have a little introspect, where we refocused our, our priorities and our values. And so that's what we've been doing in this series. Uh, first week talked about devotion to the Lord. And then, you know, last week, uh, Pastor Jordan shared about confession and repentance. I don't know if you've been confessing or repenting this week, but uh, it should be a way of life for you where you just constantly confess before the Lord, but not just confess your sins. You need to confess things over your life from the word of God that are positive, that are, that are building you up, that, that are promises from God, uh, that you can count on, that you can rely upon. It's like when we worship, we're worshiping the king, and we're going to talk about reverence today, but also within the worship, in the presence of God, comes edification to the believer. It just is. You can't come in the presence of God without ultimately being lifted up and uh, being encouraged. That's the wonderful thing about the presence of God. And so for our text over this month, we've chosen James chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. And I wanted to read that. Again, it was on our bumper. It was also at the beginning of the video. But he says, come close to God. These are all instructional for us. Come close to God, and the result of that is he will come close to you. If you wash your hands, you sinners, and if you purify your hearts... Something good is going to happen because he's stating here that our loyalty is divided between God and the world. He said, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Now, we, 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 we put a lot of weight on joy. You know, we put a lot of weight on, you know, the kingdom of God is 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 righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But there are times in our life where the laughter and the joy needs to be put aside as we examine ourselves. And if something is wrong, if something is out of sorts, if our heart is divided, then we need to go ahead and have some tears about it. Amen? And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I just love that, being lifted up in honor. We're going to talk about that after a while. But the thing about James, he's an apostle, and he's writing to a very, very difficult group of people, the 12 tribes, Jewish tribes scattered abroad, believers. And they've got some things going on in their camps, man, that is that just, I don't know if it goes on in your home, but there's a lot of envy there, a lot of strife. I mean, you know what they're doing? They claim to have faith, but they didn't have any works to back it up. They were, they were in trouble. Their tongues were out of control. He told them at one time, your tongue is set on a fire of hell. I mean, so there was a lot of backbiting, gossiping going on, not the proper kind of confession happening. I mean, there were some things happening in these camps. They were lusting for pleasure. Uh, they were friends of the world, he said, that you, if you love the world, you're, you're an enemy of God. And so he is bringing strong correction to these people. And Proverbs says that correction is a way of life. And so don't negate 
correction in your life. Don't uh, get angry and upset and offended when people bring correction in your life because it is the way of life. There's no one who lives life without being corrected, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in the faith, no matter how long you've been married, your wife is going to correct you <laughs> and your husband. It doesn't matter. You know, you think, well, after I've been in something a very long time, there's no need for adjustment. There's no, no. forget it. You're constantly adjusting. You know how you grow and you adjust your belt loops, you know, your belt holes in your belt. I, I finally, I beat the putting, uh, you know, more holes at the end of my belt. I just bought one of these ratchet belts. That way you don't have any idea what size belt it is. You just ratchet it up until it feels good, and then you're all right. But there's this constant having to to be adjusted. And uh, I think more over than ever before, and I think you would agree with me that we have a giant battle with our reverence of God and our embracing of the world. And when we say the world, we're talking about just the way the world operates, the way things are thought about, the systems of the world. How many of you know that most of the things that go on in the world today, in, especially in the area of morality, are opposed to the principles of God? We live in a nation that much is opposed. Now, I'm not, I don't get down on and say, oh, you know, gloom. No, I'm excited about what God is doing because I already know what God knows about what's going to go on. And so I don't, I don't get, you know, and you shouldn't get all depressed about the government or about this that's going on over there and this, because God really does know what's happening. And we're going to show you that in a little while. Uh, when we talk about a divided heart, just so that you'll understand that, it's, it, it, what it really means is like vacillating between decisions or being very indecisive. Have you ever seen someone indecisive? They like, they want to go here. You ever been at a four-way stop sign where people are indecisive? Huh? It's like, Arch! and everybody's trying to inch in. I remember one time I got out of my car, not completely out, but almost all the way out, and I directed traffic at the four-way stop sign. I said, you got that thing because it wasn't going anywhere. We never were going to leave the four-way stop sign vacillating and we vacillate sometimes between reverence for God and embracing of the world. And if you'll be honest about that, you realize it happens to you a time or two in your life. And some of you, maybe it happens a lot and we've got to deal with that thing. And so in this time of relent, we're seeking to adjust ourselves and draw closer to God. And so today we want to focus on the Lord much more so than on ourselves because we spend a lot of time on ourself. We're going to do better, be better. We're going to pray more. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's all about us, me. I got to get better. I got to make better grades. I got to be a better employee, employer. I got to, you know, I got to pay my taxes better. I got to. So can we just kind of shift the focus a little bit for the next few minutes and focus in on God? I want to make the first statement to you, and that is that God is the grand overall designer. That means that he overshadows everything. He is the maker of heaven and earth. We're not dealing with a little sideline God. We're not dealing with a little idol on a shelf or a little statue or some beads or some little thing like that. We're dealing with the God of the universe, the one, the only 
true God, and he is the grand overall designer. He is God, grand overall designer. And when we think about that, you say, well, what makes up God? What, you know, what about the attributes of God? I want to share three of them with you that I believe if you'll grasp them completely, it'll change your whole aspect about who he is. The first thing about God is that he's omnipotent. Now, these are Bible words, most of them, and they're words that we don't normally use, but can we go ahead in South Mississippi here and stretch our vocabulary a little bit today? Maybe learn a few new words. Omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is all-powerful, not sort of powerful, not three-quarters percent powerful. He is absolute in his power, completely almighty God. Revelation chapter 19 says, praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. There's no one more powerful than God. There's, there's no power in existence that's greater than God. When Moses went to the burning bush and got the command from God to go and set the people of Israel free from their captives, their captors in Egypt. When Moses started talking, he said, well, you know, who, who should I tell them sent me? What, what, who? He said, tell them I am sent to you. And to me, that sums it all up. I mean, who would have thought of such a statement? Who would have thought of such a name as I am. Matter of fact, he said, I am that I am. I love that. What God is saying is that it's me. I'm the one. Number one, I'm sending you. And, and then there was, there was Jesus when he was being arrested. When they said, uh, he, he, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he says, I am. Now, in your, in your Bible, the, he says, I am he, but he is in italics, which means it was not in the original language. He just said basically the same thing that God said to Moses. He said it to them. He said, I am. And when he did, everybody around there fell down. The power of the name of God, Elohim, powerful, almighty God, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything that you're even able to ask or think. That's almighty God. More powerful than demons, more powerful than sickness and disease, more powerful than political systems, more powerful than the kings of nations. God almighty reigns. He's omnipotent. But he adds to that. That would be good enough. Wouldn't it be good enough that God is all-powerful, that he would reign from one place at one time? But he's not only omnipotent, he's omnipresent. Omnipresent is such a great word. It means present in all phases of time. Not just everywhere at the same time, but everywhere at all time. In other words, he exists in eternity past Think about eternity past. Come on, just a moment. Just close your eyes and say, eternity past. Think. You know what happens? If, if you're like me, I have a small brain. My brain instantly just goes about two seconds and then click, it clicks off. It's like, it's like a breaker in your home when you overload it with four hair dryers. You know, you got four daughters. They all plug in at the same time and click. Well, that's how my mind, that's how your mind is when you think of 
the, the presence of God in all of eternity past. But he is also the God of the future, of all eternity in the future. Now, I can go a little bit further on that, can't you? Eternity in the future seems a little bit more comprehensible. But, but not only that, he is the God of your present. And that's where we live right now. Our past is a memory. Come on, our future is secure, but we live right now. And we have to live in this life right now. That's why we need Almighty God. I love what, what it says in Revelations chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And then he says, for you that don't really know, I am the beginning and the end, because that's what that means. Says the Lord, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. The Almighty One. And that, that phrase, Almighty One, means the Sovereign One. And, and to understand sovereignty, man, what a word. What power. Sovereign means I do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want, for as long as I want. Sovereign God. Come on. Hey, yeah, I think we ought to give it. When you submit to the sovereignty of God, life gets more simple. Come on now. I really only need to know three things. I need to know what's me, what's the devil, and what's God. If it's the devil, get behind me, Satan. If it's me, straighten up Van. If it's God, I submit. Those are the ways. That, this, it's so simple. He is almighty, sovereign God, present all the time. There's nowhere where any person can go where God won't find them. I love Psalm 139. It just talks about it. It says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down in the grave, you're there, man. If I, if I go into the deepest ocean, you're there. He said, basically the psalmist said, I can't go anywhere where you're not, God. There's nowhere that I can go. You're it. You're the one. You're omnipresent. He's here right now. He's in this room right now. And then the third word, omniscient. He's omniscient. My goodness. You know, that's a word we never use, right? When's the last time you, in a conversation with your friends, used the word omniscient? You never use that, but you know what it means? Knowing everything. You say, well, that figures out that's my husband. He's, he thinks he's omniscient. Or our teenage son. <laughs> he knows everything. But God knows everything. He knows everything, folks. Listen to me. He knows every thought that's in your, in your mind right now. He knows everything that's going on in this room. He knows all of our plans, what we're plotting, what we're scheming. He knows the good about us, the evil about us. He knows your failures. He knows your, your victories. He knows how strong you are. He knows how weak you are. He knows everything about you and everything about everybody else. He knows what Putin is planning. He understands what our president is doing. He understands what's going down in Argentino. He knows everything that's going on. All at the same time, every thought, every word spoken. God knows everything about everything. Psalm 147, how great is our Lord. His power is absolute. Oh, I love that. His understanding is beyond comprehension because I can't figure it out how God could know everything all at the same time. Not only that, he knows all the future thoughts you will have. Wow. 
So the, the point is, is that not, not only can we not hide something from God, because the Bible says we're naked when it comes, all things are, nothing's hidden, everything's uncovered. It just shows me how powerful his grace is, because I know the thoughts that I think. You know the thoughts that you think. Sometimes you wonder, where do these thoughts come from? Where do these dreams come from? I have. See how quiet it gets? You know why? Because God's creeping up in your mind there. (laughs) You see, he's omnipresent. He's knowing all these things. He's just right there. It's all completely naked. Talking about the presence of God, I remember the first time I ever experienced the presence of God. I was 26 years old. And I began to hear a voice in my head. Now, most people, when they start hearing voices in their head, it's not positive. (laughs) It's just not. But I began to hear this voice telling me to buy a Bible. And I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you, I'd be sitting down in my office in the middle of the day, and I'd hear a voice in my head, and the words were simply this, go buy a Bible. Four simple words. I went one time to the bookstore. I looked at a Bible. I got so angry and upset. I began to curse in the building and curse myself all the way back to my office. Two weeks later, I heard the same voice, go buy a Bible. I got up again, left the office, went to a, a local bookstore. I bought that Bible that I looked at. And when I walked in my office, I remember taking that Bible and slamming it down on my desk. Look, I was a heathen. I was an unbeliever. I was messed up. And I became so enraged. I mean, I was enraged that I would buy a Bible. And I can't tell the whole story, but through different occurrences, Jan called me right. I mean, when that Bible hit the top of that desk, my my extension rang in my office. It was the secretary. She said, Jan's on the phone. I picked up the phone. I said, hey, hey, honey. Oh, hey, Belle. Hey, Jan. I said something like that. And she said, you know, I, I've been doing this. I've been, I, I read this. I was watching this TV program. And, and maybe I just know only one thing. You need to go buy a Bible right now. <laughs> now, now, that sounds like a great coincidence. And that's a great story to tell. But let me tell you the result of that. The result of that was that for the first time in my whole life, I realized that God was real. And then I realized that he knew where I was. And the third thing I realized was that he was in the room with me. And I'll tell you something right now. That birthed in me an amazing transformation instantly that God is real without any man ever telling me that God is real. Look, look, let me tell you something. God can do what he wants to do, what he wants to do, and how he wants to do it, but he's going to get his thing done. And I, I never forget, just, uh, I, was, I, was, I was frozen. I mean, look, I, I, was, I was gone, guys. In, in my office, I had a giant poster with the earth cracked open with demons flying out. In my office. I can't imagine that they let me do that, but they did. We were crazy. It was nuts. It was crazy. God will come get you because he wants you. He will leave his throne. Come on now. Come on now. He's the only king that will leave his throne. An omnipotent, omniscient, 
omnipresent God will leave his dwelling place and come down and deal with people's hearts. And he's still doing that today. I brought that Bible home that night. Jan and I read the whole book of Revelations the first night all by ourselves. We just read the whole book. We thought it was so exciting and so fantastic. The next night we read it all through again. That's more than some people read their Bible in a lifetime. We didn't know half of what was going on. We didn't know three quarters of what was going on in that book, but I'll tell you, it was exciting. The second statement I want to make to you this morning is that reverence is humility's response. When, when you understand, when you get revelation, how powerful God is of what we just talked about, then the only response that a humble person can have, because James says, humble yourselves, humble yourselves, is that of reverence. What else can a person do when they come into the presence of God? What else would you do? How how, how do you, all-knowing, all-seeing, everywhere at the same time, God, what is our response? Well, I think... One of our responses is that of astonishment. I am still astonished at who God is. And the older I get, the bigger he gets. It's almost like I think that I'm on a collision course with the throne of God. It's like the older I get, the the clearer heaven gets. I think it's astonishment. Just absolutely astonished. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. It just seems so, that's just amazing. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The forests proclaim the glory of God. I remember... Uh, riding down the Chapajaws River in Brazil. Some of you were with us. And it was nighttime. We were all in our little hammocks sleeping on this boat going down this gigantic river. I got up to go to the, the, the restroom, and when I, when, I, when I came back, I took the, the, the tarpaulin that had us covered, and I pulled it back. We were on the front of the boat, and I saw the Milky Way there. I was astonished. Literally, I was astonished. Not only that, I was a grown man and I got scared. It was so magnificent. I had never seen anything like that. It, was, it, just, it just took me away. I just was awestruck. I was astonished. And that's just at his creation. Can you imagine his face? Astonishment. This past week, Jan and I had the privilege, well, not this past week, the week before, we had a privilege. We, we took a vacation out to Arizona, Phoenix, and then to the Grand Canyon, and then to Sedona, and then back to Phoenix, and we went to the Grand Canyon. I want to just show you a picture of the Grand Canyon. Can you just put it up there for us right now? Put that picture up. See, that's the Grand Canyon right there. It, it is just absolutely astonishing. It's the only time I ever saw two van loads of kids shut up. Some of you in this room were with us on those trips where we went to the Grand Canyon. And, you know, if you've ever went in a, in a, in a van across the United States of America with, with uh, it packed full of, like, 10 teenagers, you know, the smell is, is something that is not from this earth. But other than that, 
They never shut up, man. It's just unbelievable. But, but when we drove up to the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there, there's a couple of different ways you, you go. But one of them is you're just going along this road, and there's just rocks and bushes and trees. But then you, you take a little turn, and when you do, all of a sudden, there is the Grand Canyon. And, and when we, we made that turn there, they were just, all of a sudden, <gasps> they were astonished. And so we visited there, and then I had a little experience there. Put up that other picture. I was just minding my own business, and Jan, she just gave me a shove right over the edge. I think she thought it was just a good time. I think, here, I, I can't pass up. So, you know, I was, but I made it through. I was determined to preach to you today. And so we made it through the Grand Canyon. But astonishment, absolutely astonished. I think humility has another response, and, and that is, I think it responds with holy fear. I think when, when, when you see the awesomeness of God, holy fear, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus is teaching a valuable lesson to us, and he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. He's talking about persecution. We fear that. We don't want anybody to kill our body, but he says, don't, don't, don't worry about those people. They cannot touch your soul. Let me tell you something. All what you go through and what people do in the, the, the dilemmas of life, they can't touch your soul. He says, this is what you want to do. You want to fear or you want to reverence only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you fear. And the closer you get to know God, the more fear of God there is. Now, I'm not talking about being afraid of God because he invites us to come boldly to his throne of grace when we have need in times of trouble. He's not talking about, about that kind of fear, but this awestruck reverence for God. So sometimes just give him that reverence. You know, it's amazing. We stand up when a judge comes into a courtroom. Well, most of us do it only because everybody else is doing it. But what about when the Holy Spirit and his presence comes into a room? I'm telling you what, when you come into the presence of God, there is a holy fear that, that comes. You know, when, when, when I knew that God was in my office, I didn't know what was going on. You got to understand the turmoil inside of me. But I knew one thing. I was in fear and trembling. I was in such a place where I was absolutely arrested, if you understand. I don't remember the rest of the day. I was just arrested. And that's what happens when you come into the presence of God. And I'm just wondering how long it's been since you have experienced a holy fear in the presence of God. How long has it been since you have experienced an encounter with God where your life is intersected and there is change that takes place? Think about it, just for a moment, in relent. Just think about it. Have you ever had an encounter with God? Have you ever felt his love, his presence, his forgiveness, his correction, his embracing, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his understanding? Have you, have you been encountered by God where he, he wants to deal with you about where you go, what you see, what you say, who you do things with? 
Has, has, there, has there been a time recently or even in the past that, that, that God has, has told you what he wants you to do or not to do? Is there an activation of your relationship? Because if there is never anything, then there, there's a need for some kind of change to take place. I think the church needs a good dose of holy fear. I really do. And we're not talking about the kind that makes us all sad and religious and all drab and no joy. We're not talking about that. Because an encounter with God, though it might arrest you for a moment, but then guess what? There's like a euphoric experience where, I mean, just this morning, I was two weeks without worshiping together with you in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you what, just instantly, his presence just embraced me. It was just so wonderful. Never, ever, don't ever take for granted corporate worship. Because to be honest with you, sometimes corporate worship is the only time we do worship. But I'm, I'm glad that we have an environment where we can at least once a week come together and be encouraged because we go through a lot of stuff, if you know what I mean. I think humility's response, the third thing is that it has a response, it has a heart of worship right there. Romans 12, one says, dear brothers and sisters, you know what? I'm pleading with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he's done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is the way to do it. This is the way you want to do it right here. You want to worship him. You know, every day, it's a life of worship. You're a living sacrifice. It's not just singing a song. Worship is more than just singing. It's more than just praying. It's a complete attitude of relationship with God. You live a worshipful life. Can I say this to some of you? Some of you are more holy than you think you are. Some of you are more close to God than you think you are. Because we got this barrier that we're trying to break through to feel something. But guess what? We're just saying it's more than a feeling. It is more than a feeling. We worship him. Everywhere where God encountered people, there was a change. Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Jacob, guess what? Yeah, I'm going to change your name, and, and, and you got a limp now. You've come into the presence of God. Saul fell down on the ground on the road to Damascus, and, and, and what did he say? Who are you, Lord? He knew it was somebody greater than him. John fell down on the Isle of Patmos like a dead man when he saw an angel. Can you imagine seeing God? And then the 24 elders in Revelation, I just love it. They just take their crowns that God has given them, and they just throw them in. Oh, here you go, Jesus. Worship. Every time somebody encounters God, if you have encounters with God, you are a worshipful person. It's so wonderful. The third and the final statement I want to make to you is that man's reverence brings God's elevation. Understand that, that God wants to elevate every one of you in this room. That's right. It's not a sin to be elevated by God. Now, we've got all kind of elevation in the world. The elevation of man is cool. You got a raise. You got a promotion. But you know what? When God gives you an elevation, when God gives you a raise, when God gives you a position, even, you're not even qualified for it. I mean, who's qualified to have a position from God? Who's qualified to be elevated by God? But yet he does that. It's so wonderful. I love it. We were in a whole bunch of hotels this week, all different kinds of elevators. But one thing I'll say about every elevator I've ever been in, they all go up. Oh, they come down, but they all go up. And usually they go up from the bottom floor. Very seldom are you on the fifth floor that you want to go to the ninth floor. 
You always want to start at the bottom. And that's where, where some of you are. And this is where God shows us elevation. Psalm 40 is just a wonderful, wonderful rendition of the elevation of an individual by God. I love it. Because, you see, humility precedes honor. We know that. We know that humility always precedes honor. If you want to get honor from God, you have to be humble. Humble yourselves. He just said that. Wash your hands, you sinners. But watch this. In Psalm 40, verse 1, and I love Psalm 40. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. I just think that's somebody that's down there, sub-lobby, down in the basement. Have you ever been in the basement of even fancy hotels? It's just nasty and crummy and all disoriented up down there. I mean, you know, it's got all kind of junk storage and everything. And that's where a lot of people are. They're in this condemnation of life. Just And some of you are in this room right now. You're that way. Just condemned and just no hope and don't think anybody loves you. Don't think God loves you. And just kind of stuck among the trash in the lower levels. But God wants to elevate you. Just like in the next verse, guess what? He says, he lifted me out. What did he do? He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a solid ground and steadied me as I walked alone. He elevated me. He lifted me up to the lobby. Come on now. And the lobby, I, I just think the lobby is like formation. God just lifts you up out of that junk, sin, mire, death, despair, and he begins to form you. He saves you and he forms you. Don't get fancy in your spirituality. God is not interested in spiritual phrases. He's interested in spiritual formation. He wants to form us. He puts his hands on us. He lifts us up. He sets us on solid ground. Salvation and formation, I just love it. It's God's power extended to a pitiful person forming you into something that you never could be on your own. Third thing, verse three, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. We just sang that. I'm just, I'm just, I just love it with the songs connect. A new song, like on the first floor, this is transformation. Man, God wants to transform us. Every area of our life needs to be new, and it can be new. We're a new creation in Christ. You are new, even if you're old, even if you feel your old. You are new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come and is of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We have been made whole, and that excites me. That excites me. My outward man is perishing daily. Every day it seems to perish a little more, but... My inward man is being renewed day by day, even by the Spirit of God. And so these wonderful things are happening. There's new life. There's new priorities. There's new battles. <laughs> Come on now. I'm fighting battles as a believer that I never had to fight as an unbeliever. And then he goes on in verse 3b. He says, many will see what he has done and be amazed they will put their trust in the Lord. This is multiplication. I'm telling you what, as God begins to elevate us, it just gets more and more intense. I was down in the pit. He put me out. I'm saved. Come on now. He's forming me. Boom, I go a little bit high. He's transforming my life. And then guess what he's doing? He wants to multiply my life in somebody else because when they see the great things that God has done in your life, it opens the door to their heart for them to receive Jesus. 
Let me tell you about your family. Let me tell you why it's so important to live for God in front of your family. Because they're watching you. They need hope. They have no hope. And when they see that you last over a long period of time, you get to lead them to the Lord. We did that with our family. We got to lead many of our family members to the Lord because God elevated us. Come on now. We deserve to stay in the basement. But God said, no, I want you to come on up a few floors. The last floor is this. Psalm 40, verse 4. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. What's the joys? I think that's glorification. Let me tell you what it is. That's the penthouse, man. That's going all the way to the top. And guess what? To get to the penthouse, if you've ever been in a hotel with penthouses, and some of you have, usually your card, you've got a special little card, and you shove that thing up in there. Everybody else is in the elevator. You break out your little card. You're like... I got the card. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the elevator won't even go up unless you put your card in it. It's like, step aside. <laughs> the penthouse, heaven, glorification. Do you know what is at the end of all of this? The end of all of this is a glorified body like Jesus had when he rose from the dead. That's the end of this thing. That's the prize. That's the high call. That's the goal line. That's where we're headed. That's what I want. That's why I'm not going to let anybody steal it from me. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to curse God. I'm, I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to stay right no matter what it takes. Because I want to be elevated. Because humility always gets elevated by God. Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Some of you in this room, oh my. I so relate to you because I was there. I so relate to not knowing God. Just not knowing him. Not even a fault of my own. Just ignorant, blind, blind dead. But I'll tell you right now, I just want to offer to you salvation. We're going to do that in a minute. But first, I want to speak to you who are believers. I want to talk to you about the fear of the Lord for just a moment. I want to pray over you, pray with you, agree with you that in this season of relent, that we find ourselves in a place of humility. You see, humility is not only for the sinner coming to God. Humility is for the saint who is with God. So church people, Christians, believers, whatever the Lord has just spoken to you in this message, just want you to come before his presence for a moment as we thank him and as we ask him to deal with our hearts. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We want to thank you, Lord, that you hear us. You know all about us. But God, we want to let you know what you already know, and that is that you're our king, that you're the Lord of our life, and that at times we don't act like it, but we repent right now, and we confess that Jesus is Lord over our life. We confess that we have been made new by your grace. And that you have called us to a higher calling. And Lord, we confess that we will continue to press forward in this thing you call salvation. We want to see your face, Lord Jesus. 
Father, we want to see your throne. Holy Spirit, we want to fellowship with you not only now, but for all of eternity. And so we confess that right now. That's our hope. That's our dream. That's what our faith is in. You and you alone. So believer, I want you to just seek the face of God. Draw close to him and he will draw close to you. And then for you, while we got our heads bowed and our eyes are closed and you who are in this room right now and you know quite well that you don't have a relationship with God, it's been revealed to you that it's not a healthy place, that your life is not right and some of you sin has power over your life. You want to do good and you can't. You try to change, but you don't. I did the same thing. You need Jesus. Jesus gives true life, true meaning, and a reason for living. So if you're in this place right now and you would say, I I want to give my life to God, the grand overall designer, I want to pray for you right where you are while everybody's got their heads bowed and they're praying. Just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, that's what I want. Thank you, sir, in the back. Yes, ma'am, right over here. Thank you. Yes, sir, right there. Come on, just keep putting them up. Just, just You're in this room and you're, you're surrendering over here to my right. Thank you so much. You're surrendering to him who already knows everything. You will never, ever surprise God nor astonish him. He sees your heart right now. He sees you who are in this chair and you're struggling right now. Do I want to do this or not? Why don't you just surrender and just shoot your hand straight up and say, me, I surrender. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Let's pray together. You who raised your hands, your hearts are wide open. And let's just agree. Father, we agree together. Just just tell him this. I agree that I'm a sinner, that my life has been derailed. And Lord, I need all the help I can get. I need you, Father, to save me, to change me, to come and be part of my life. Be my whole life, Lord. I surrender myself to you. I give you everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, my whole life that you already know. And I ask you to change me. Make me a whole person again. I honor you and I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, ain't it great that God is still tugging on people's hearts? Thanks so much for watching Northwood Church. Wherever you're watching from, we want you to know that we consider you family. We as a church wanna help people know God, and our hope is that today you are encouraged and closer to God through this program. If you just prayed that prayer, first let me say congratulations. Starting your relationship with God is the best decision you can make, but it's also just a start, and we wanna help you on your journey of faith. If you're watching and you want to become a partner in what God is doing in South Mississippi through Northwood Church, you can give simply by texting the amount you want to give to the number 228-215-3421. Again, that number is 228-215-3421. By giving, you're helping local food pantries, women's resource centers, missions, outreaches, and so much more. Even just $5 can go a long way. 
Again, text the amount to 228-215-3421. Northwood is one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, Mississippi, and we'd love to see you there. You can check out our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Be sure to connect with us at northwood.tv or on social media to stay up to date with all the exciting things happening around Northwood Church. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you soon.